0: So welcome to Confessions of a Serial Seller. My guest today, he's a best-selling author and he's a keynote sales speaker, but he's also an expert in the world of healthcare. So James Muir, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be on. Oh, thank you. I've got to say your book, The Perfect Close, one of the best books I've ever had the pleasure to read. And uh, I hope if my listeners haven't read it, they need, they need that in their their armory. I, I've got to say that first off. Um, You're too kind. No, it's a phenomenal book. So, James, tell tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into the world of
1: sales. So, I am an accidental salesperson, actually. So, mm-hmm. I started out as an operations person in a family-owned revenue cycle business, and I actually would actually go out and help the reps do their, you know, do the, answer the tough questions, right? And I remember you'll laugh at this, um, thinking, "Oh, I hope I never have to do that." Mm -hmm. and then what happened is um, we acquired a business in another area yeah and um, which included salespeople. and then a sales guy who I had been going out with he left the company and took a whole bunch of customers with him Mm -hmm. and so they immediately needed someone who could sell and also understood the business and so I got drafted into that and it was a high pressure situation for quite a while because I didn't understand selling or I really didn't and so I read books like crazy and um And one of the things that I could never do, I've read almost every book you can think of on closing. Yes. And I was never congruent with any of the techniques that were being taught in these Mm. books because they're almost all manipulative actually. Mm. And, uh, and so that's actually where the origin I actually discovered how to do the perfect close by accident with a client. I was essentially in a desperate situation where I said, well, look, does it make sense for me to analyze all your stuff for you and then figure out where you, where the improvements can be gained and then I'll come back to you. Yeah. And they agreed to that. And I had all these deals that were like, um, my pipeline was really bloated. I, I had yeah. great conversations with people, but they were never closing. Right. Yeah. So it was just like, um, tons of deals in the, but never getting over the finish line. Mm. And, um, anyway, so when they said yes to that, and I came back and showed them and everything worked out great. We got the account. I thought, what, what made that work? Why did this one work and the rest mm. of them didn't work? And it was that, just that little phrase, you know, doesn't make sense for me too. And, right. um, and then after I started using that, it really made a huge difference for the, it actually saved our company. I mean, we were really struggling. And um, so anyway, that's the, that's the, how I ended up getting into sales. Yeah. And then from there, I've, I've mostly been in the healthcare um, IT space, mm. you know, for the last 30 years or so, where we're, we're selling big ticket uh, information systems to hospitals and clinics yeah. um, around the world. So um, anyway, that's, a, that's my, my drafted into the sales uh, story in a nutshell. Fantastic. And you
0: said there that, you know, when you were reading a lot of these books, a lot of the closing techniques weren't congruent with you. And I, and I think I find a lot of salespeople really struggle with that final part, the close. What, why do, what do you believe that's
1: down to? Oh, well, uh, so there's only two reasons why people don't, uh, this might surprise you, Tony, but 50 to 90% of all sales encounters end without any commitment being asked for at all. Mm. And um, it, it varies a little bit by industry, but like 50% is the low number. Mm. So that is just mind blowing to me. And so if you say, hey, why, why do you think that's happening? Yeah. There's really only two things. There's skill and will. And skill is, do they know how to ask? Yes. And will is the desire, or the willingness to ask, right? So those are the two reasons why people don't ask for commitments. Mm and um on, skills really pretty simple um the, the real problem the reason that most people aren't asking mm. is cuz most of the techniques that, you know, like if you go out there and google closing techniques you're going to hear a bunch of closing techniques that are mostly derived from the timeshare industry where it's a big ticket item where we're we're limited in our time. So we got to use every trick we can to get them to close today because we'll never see them again.
0: Yes,
1: And they're very dysfunctional and they're super manipulative. And so people, when they learn those, they're like, wow, I am not comfortable saying that. And so rather than ask for uh, a, a, a commitment in a way that damages the relationship, People mm-hmm. basically don't do anything at all, yeah. and they they pray that the system their, the sale will close itself. Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, and so um, on the will side, um, if you give people a way to ask for a commitment that is non-confrontational, that's no mm-hmm. pressure, um, then they'll do it right. And that yeah. alone, forget forget the high probability of of the way the perfect close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very successful, right? Yeah. But um, if even if you just got the rest of your people to actually ask for commitments each time they met with somebody that alone would make a massive difference for most people's uh, companies. Mm. And the key to that is just uh, teaching them to ask in a way that's congruent with their own personal values. Yes. Yes. I think that's really
0: key. I think you have to be comfortable. Um, I mean, my, my first sort of memory of closing was I watched that great movie. I don't know if you've seen Glen, Gary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> Of course, of course, right? right? It's a classic. A classic. I mean, my first book, James, I wrote was called Coffees for Closers because I just, uh-huh. love, I love that. And I'll send you a copy, but I love the movie.
1: Um, I've got it. I've got your book already. Uh, you've got it
0: already. Perfect. Yeah. But, but I always think, you know, they say ABC, but I actually think it should be A-B-O, always be opening. And for me, you know, I, I want to get your opinion on this, is I, I say a lot of salespeople, you don't close the deal. You open a
1: relationship. And that's the start of
0: everything to me. I mean, what's your thoughts on
1: that? No, a hundred percent. And that the ironic thing is that always be closing is so memorable, mm. but it is so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, data has been done. The research has been done. And the truth is, is that it is a myth that always been closing. In fact, uh, Neil Rackham back in the eighties, yeah. uh, late eighties did, uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, research around this. And that is in fact, one of the things, and what they found is that past the first attempt Mm. to close, there's a negative correlation between closing attempts and closing success. Mm. So always be closing only works he did find there is a scenario where it does work. Yeah. And that is if you sell a low ticket item, yeah, where um, you're, you're confronting the person and where they actually measured the threshold and the threshold at where always be closing stops working is about $109. Right, so if you sell things that are really inexpensive and they're 100, you might want to whip out the double reverse close or whatever you know your favorite high pressure close is. But everybody I work with sells things that are way, way more expensive than that, and so that means taking that any, any advice like always be closing is going to be counterproductive uh, to your sales success. Totally.
0: And you, and you made a good point. You said it down to the only reason people don't ask is will and skill. So skill can be taught, but will, you know, can't in my opinion. So what's the best advice for my listeners of how they can develop that willingness to ask?
1: Well, between those two, will is definitely the bigger problem right? Uh, Like I said, 50 to 90% of all sales interactions are ending without any commitment being asked for. Mm -hmm. And the reason is they just don't know a way to ask that's, that that is congruent with their own personal values. My personal experience is that they just, it's not that they are afraid to ask, it's that they're worried about damaging the relationship with the customer and they don't want to do that. So, um, and here's the thing is when there's, there's a number of things, I'm greatly simplifying here. Uh, There's a great number of things that cause people to hesitate to ask, but one of the biggest ones is that if you just teach them mm. that um, and get them to really embrace that selling is serving, yes. you've, you've really gotten to the root cause of most of them. Yes. And, and a lot of people mistakenly think that sales is about persuasion or manipulation, but it's not. And, and mm. following that path actually will lead to a dead end. Um, mm. Helping a customer move towards their goal is actually an act of service. And it really shouldn't be difficult or stressful at all. It should be easy, easy in the same way that, you know, any one of us would help someone in a wheelchair cross a street or get onto an airplane, right? When we help someone achieve their goal um, with our product or service, we're serving them. And there should be no hesitation in that. In fact, it should be motivating in its own right. Absolutely. I love that. Selling is
0: serving. And and it's, it's so true. It's a mindset shift that our job is to solve problems and help as opposed to sell to someone, right? And
1: I yes, absolutely really important. And, and I, I think one of the things that causes it to be dysfunctional is, is if I had to throw it in a word it's just quota and mm-hmm. so people are so worried about thinking about themselves and how they 're going to make their quota and that that they walk into a, a, a opportunity with yes. commission breath, and the customer detects that immediately right that they 're not doing it for the customer but they 're doing it for themselves and that creates a hugely dysfunctional environment that makes selling very, very difficult. And um, I speak to that to some degree in the book, the science behind that. But people are looking for um, warmth and competence when they meet with another person. Mm. And warmth is, do they trust you? Yeah. And competence is, are you actually capable of creating kind of result for me? Yeah. And you could be really great on competence. Like almost everybody in the sales world focuses on being really competent at what they do or producing a result for the customer. But what they don't understand is that warmth in terms of decisions, relationship decisions is primary. Yeah, it will always, uh, it always trumps competence. So you have, to, you do have to have competence. I don't want to dismiss that. Yeah. But if people do not trust you, yeah, you're, doomed it won't matter how competent that you are and so um and that's an important thing to take when we go in to see a customer we need to walk in tabula rasa blank slate thinking let's see if i can help this customer and if you Mm. can you should help them but if you can't you should recommend a even have a competitor or someone else that can help them we should walk you know it should be on our sales manifesto that we will never sell a product or a service to a person if they won't genuinely benefit from that
0: yes Couldn't agree with you more. I love that. I mean, I know James, you've been super successful in the healthcare business. What do you believe, and I don't want to embarrass you here, but what do you believe your success has come down to in terms of if you broke down the characteristics of a top performer, what do they look like in your opinion?
1: Well, I I will say that my journey was not overnight. So I've learned a lot of different things that have um, improved over the years in terms of helping um, me be successful and the different things that I've done. And I've, I've sold some very, very large um, accounts, right? Mm -hmm. So millions and millions of dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I would say is if you had to boil it down to like the, the top maybe three or four things that really matter, the first would be, um, is market, which is, is understanding that, um, you have to only sell to your ideal time, yep. clients, Yeah. Right. That is the single most, I mean, people will ask me, right. I've got a book on closing, right. And people ask yeah. me, Hey, what's the single most you know effective thing you can do to improve sales. And you might think, cause I wrote a book on closing that it's closing, but it isn't yeah. the, 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 the single most effective thing you can do is only sell to ideal clients. And the reason for that yeah. is because everything else is downstream From there, it won't matter if you're giving the greatest demos or the greatest negotiation, you have the best offer. If we put garbage in the top of your funnel, it's not, it won't, it'll fall out. So that you need to spend time investing and understanding who your ideal client is and then only, only sell to them. And if you get a bad opportunity that's weak, it's tough medicine, but you should really put them on the back burner. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. ignore them completely, but put them on the back burner and go out and use that time to go find an ideal client rather than continuing to work with a lower grade um, quality, uh, type of, a, a, a prospect. And that's, yeah. that's tough because people tend to like to the middle part of the sales process a lot more than the prospecting part. Yeah. So that, and that's one of the biggest things, probably, you know, the, the second thing would be around messaging. And mm-hmm. that is that the way you say things and how you say things matters a huge amount. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, uh, the, we, we have very little time to get our message across today. It's worse than ever before, right? Yeah. Our, our attention spans are like seven or eight seconds now. So yeah. when you finally do get an opportunity, you've got to really nail it. And one of the mistakes that most folks are making and that I was making and that finally I, I um, corrected mm. is that um, people have a hard time justifying the value of their product. They don't take the time to mm-hmm. actually uh, quantify the value that they're bringing for clients and that's just a huge mistake um because your value prop is mission critical information that helps you succeed in selling and the reason for that is that answers the question why should you why should you meet with me right and if you can't bring any value there's no reason for them to meet with you and your prospecting efforts are going to are going to fail so you really need to spend some time um you know monetizing the um you know, the value that you bring uh, to clients so that you can use that in your messaging with them. And if you don't do that, you're going to struggle.
0: Yes. Yeah, they're they're two great bits of advice. So my, my first question on that, how, for my listeners, how can they identify who their ideal client is?
1: So there's kind of a quick um, process to do that. And it's a little different if they're startups versus if they're established. But if they're yeah. established business, it's pretty easy. What you can do is you go look at your client base and you, yeah. you and then you're going to look at who your ideal clients are yeah. and you're going to look at some demographics. Those yeah. are things that you can count, like how many employees, how much money are they making? What industry are they in, Things like that. Mm. And then, and then you're going to look at psychographics. And these are things like what's their attitude towards change? Yes. Right? Um, are they trying to improve? Right? Th- these are things that are harder to measure. The first things, the demographics, you can figure those out with your own client base, mm. and then create a profile. This is the demographic ideal profile. Mm. And then we won't know, and then you'll, you'll have your psychographic profile, but you're going to, you won't know that on your prospects until you meet with them. So what you're going to use is once you've identified what a ideal client looks like from a demographic perspective, then we're going to go down to one of the many databases that are out there. Even LinkedIn is pretty okay at that. Um, And you're going to identify people that match that same profile. And then, then we're going to start there. And so even though maybe, you know, Students or people that, you know, document themselves as Fred Flintstone or something like that on our websites, yeah. even though they're hitting our website, we don't want to go after those kind of clients unless they fit our ideal client profile. We can, we just give them a lower priority. I'm not saying don't engage them. I'm just saying give them a yeah. lower priority and spend most of your time going after ideal clients. Yes. That I don't know if that helped you.
0: Not once you, and
1: there, yeah, there's one other thing that, uh, that t- people typically forget uh, there's, mm-hmm. in fact, let me give you two things that people forget when they're creating ideal customer profiles. First of all, the problems that you solve mm. are, determine the mar- who you sell to. Okay, mm-hmm. and so th- what you want to do is find out who has those problems and who has those problems in the biggest way, right? Yes. And then that will, um, and that will tell you who you're selling to. So, uh, saying another way, problems are markets. Okay, that's a way to think about it. Lovely, the other thing, yeah. And and so the the other thing that people tend to forget when I'm working with a customer and I'm trying to help them identify an ideal customer profile is uh, especially if they're startups. Okay. uh, Is you, you want to work in an area where you're going to have proof that you can produce a result. And the reason for that Mm. is because um, these direct marketers have, have messed around with all these different attributes when it comes to what pulls and what creates the greatest conversion rate. And out of all the things you can do Mm. proof from third parties, turns out to be the single biggest thing that you can do to improve your conversion rate. Okay. Yeah. Now think about why that is, Tony, it's probably because they know that anybody can make a promise. Anybody can claim that they solve a problem, but it's very hard to get a third party to say that you solve a problem, right? It's, it's considerably harder to falsify evidence when it's coming yeah. from a third party, right? An objective third party. Totally. So when you're targeting your ideal client you need to make sure you've got some evidence or some proof yes. to work with you don't want to go into um, battle without a sword so to speak yeah and so you gotta go ahead
0: i was gonna say i love that. i'm a big advocate of getting video testimonials from the clients because those success stories is you you build immediate trust and credibility right
1: absolutely absolutely and there's nothing a salesperson can do that will ever compete with just a, a an existing happy customer giving a testimonial yeah, I love that. So, so it, but, but companies spend way too little time investing in, in gathering those metrics and those testimonials. They should spend way more time doing that.
0: Totally. And you, you touched on a couple of things. Once now my listeners can I- identify their ideal customer, then it's about getting their messaging right. And, and my question, I guess, is how do, how do my listeners know what to include in their messaging that's going to be most relevant and impactful to those prospects
1: wow that is a big subject so let let me just um give you as an overview it doesn't really matter whether you're inbound or outbound sales Mm. you're depending on messaging right in order to uh, engage your target audience Mm. and probably the number one thing is creating a value prop right? Mm-hmm. So that you can work that value prop into your messaging. And I, I have done consulting for many, many companies, many you'd recognize the companies. And mm-hmm. um, I would say in probably 80% of cases, when we get to figuring out why they really brought me in, yeah, maybe they started out with something like discovery or closing or something like that. We end up finding out that the real problem is that the, their messaging is awful mm-hmm. and that they're not really giving their team a very good message to work with. So that the mm-hmm. very root of all of that is your value prop. And it's very easy to, um, to create a value prop, you, it's metric plus d- direction plus magnitude. Those three things. A metric is the measurable component of whatever it is that you improve, right? It answers yes. the question, how do you know whether you're doing good or not? Yes. The direction's easy. Is it going up or is it going down? And then magnitude is how much is it going up? How much mm. is it going down, right? Mm. What's the value of the change, right? So a very simple value prop would be something like, you know, we improve close ratios by an average of 22% right? In that, in that example, the close ratio is the metric yeah. and that's the bare minimum. There's a way, of, there's target statements, there's impacts, there's lots of other things you can add to the messaging, mm. but you really customers should have a value prop for each solution um, that they offer. And I'm sort yeah. of a more generalized one that encompasses everything that they do. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, what that does is it answers the question, why should this client see me? And that's the question we got to answer if we're going to get our first meeting with mm-hmm. clients, right? It's the valid business reason that they should meet with us. Yeah. So once you've got that I mean, there's six different elements that are part of um, high impact messaging. There was actually some uh, research that came right out of the UK um, about a year and a half ago that as of today, it's, it shows us what the, um, the highest impact messaging format is. There's no message format that will cause everyone to, to buy. Yeah. But we do know that if you present your information in a certain way that you have the highest probability of doing mm. it. And um, there's six elements to that high impact messaging framework. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it would take a little bit to go through it, but to, uh, to be real quick yeah. um, there's a driver and a trigger event. Yeah. There's a problem or an issue that you're solving. Yeah. There's insight and unconsidered needs. Yeah. There's your value prop, which we already talked about. There's your mechanism of action. And then there's proof. Those six things, if you do them in that order, create the—they're the most likely to cause an executive buyer to decide now, as opposed to just wait. Right. And that's—I'm sure you know that the number one, the number one uh, competitor for every organization is no decision. Yes. <laughs> and it, right. So, uh, if we can do this correctly, we can at least beat the no decision. Right. Um, and for some industries, it's up to fifty yeah. percent more of their of their losses are actually due to no decision. And what that means is that we've never created a compelling reason to change what they're already doing. Right. Yes. And that's where we're failing at. And so, um, in any case, I mean, we can talk through that if you'd like to, but, um, it, it I mean, it, it's, it's fairly sophisticated. The, yeah. um, the, uh, but if you, uh, the guy who you want to look for, uh, is, uh, Dr. Nick Lee. He's the professor of marketing at the Warwick business school in Coventry, UK. Brilliant. That's the guy who, who did the, the research.
0: Yeah. I've, I haven't come across his work, but I, I've heard a lot about the trigger events where a lot of my, my, my clients use Google alerts or LinkedIn alerts on sales nav to, you know, find out what's going on in a, in a prospect's world. Right. And then you use that in your, your elevator pitch. Is that what you're referring to?
1: Yeah. So um, basically just to kind of, just to tweak through those three, it, it's a little counterintuitive. What we really start with is you start with the, the problem or the issue or the goals that the client has. Yeah. And then you work backwards to figure out what the drivers are for that. Mm. And then the, the insight is an important part. And a lot has been said about that. So if you want to read a really great book on that, um, just go look, read the challenger sale. They'll oh, talk they'll tell you a little bit about how you're developing, but basically what presenting insight in unconsidered needs does is basically we need to understand the problem well enough to introduce some insight or some need that they hadn't thought about. Yeah. And it, it needs to be new. Um, yeah. And it's a big deal. And in fact, the, the Huthwaite research, which is new Rackham's company. Yeah. Um, we, he found that when we help customers identify an unrecognized problem, they're actually willing to pay more for the solution. Yeah. So when you spend a little time creating an in, some insight, you're actually adding value to your solution. Right. Yeah. But basically um, these unrecognized needs or insights are, you know, your potential bear traps or their potholes that they could fall into. And when, um, and when we share these with customers, um, what happens, it, it kind of sets them off balance just a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, wow. And that creates this gap of uncertainty
0: mm-hmm. that they want to fill. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, that, that gap of uncertainty makes them open to solutions. And that's the right time for you to mention your value prop. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Um, and it's important, by the way, your value prop Address both their stated needs as well as the new, in, the new unconsidered needs that you just mentioned. You don't, yes. right, you don't, you don't, you don't introduce a bunch of unconsidered needs and then don't solve for it, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but um, it doesn't matter how great your value prop is. The natural reaction to all of that is skepticism. Okay, it's going to happen every time. So, we, you know, after you've mentioned what your value prop is, the client is primed to mm-hmm. receive the next messaging element, which is, um, which is the mechanism of action, mm-hmm. and it, it, that's a term that we use in healthcare for describing how a drug actually creates its results, right. but it, the mechanism of action is what's the secret sauce in your solution that actually causes them to get a result, mm. and so now you've told them, oh, it's because we have the special business rules, or we have whatever it is, right, Yeah, and then you got to back all that up with proof, and like I mentioned before, we want to have the best proof is from objective third-party you know, resources like you know, referenceable clients, or or maybe some kind of a third party that does uh, awards or something like that. Well, oh, that's fantastic,
0: Now, I love that. I'm going to look Dr. Nick Lee up and look into that. I I I know, obviously, your your success has been in the healthcare space. Which which one sale stands out head and shoulders for you above the rest? That that maybe either you're most proud of winning, or that taught you the most. Would you say as a sales sales professional?
1: Sure, sure. There's a large health care system in Arizona called Banner Health Systems. Mm. They're actually beyond that, but they're very, very large. Mm. And this will, this will blow your mind, right? So mm. let, me, let, me, let me zoom back before I even talk about that one. Mm. So about two years before I engaged those guys, I had worked with this woman uh, in Arizona, in Phoenix, and we were, uh, were not a good solution for her. So I actually suggested two other competing solutions that were a better match for her than I was. Mm. And then Glenn Edwards from uh, Banner Health contacted me about two years later and he had heard uh, about us from this woman she no. referred him to me. Okay, yeah. now um, we went through a bunch of, and I'll I'll save you all the the drama of the story. But it basically, at that at that time, this was the largest system that we had ever sold. Yeah. Uh, it was a five million dollar uh, healthcare IT system, yeah. and then over the next um, five or six years, they purchased another five million dollars worth of stuff as they grew into yeah. other places. And so the the overall value of the sale, you know, if you totaled it all together, it was about ten million dollars. But mm. the and and there's a lot we could learn from that that I've skipped. But I would just say that whole thing about being congruent with a client and not yeah. being willing to sell them something that they don't need turned, I don't know what the value of that deal with that uh, other account would have been. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe hundred grand. But that turned yeah. into a $10 million opportunity for our company afterwards. And that's, that's because I did the right, the right thing. That's amazing. Have
0: you ever gone back to that lady that who introduced you and referred you? Are
1: you kidding? Of course we did. <laughs> of course we did. <laughs> what, a, say, what a wonderful, but, yeah, but that, I mean, call it karma, call it what you will, or just doing the right thing will pay, but it doesn't always pay, you know, immediately. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, it was like two years before doing the right thing ended up turning. And I, I don't want to, you should not do the right thing because you're expecting reciprocity at some point. Just do sure. the right thing because it's the right thing. And then just know, have faith and know that it will eventually come back to you. Oh, that's an
0: amazing story. And I I think it's so key because, you know, I think when I look at my clients, the best business they win is referred business. And you're only going to get that if you do the right thing and you, your, your products or service does what you say it does. Right. And I think on the back of that, yes, you're going to get a lot of repeat custom,
1: but you're going to get recommended to their colleagues that you can also help. Yep. Here's the irony is that referrals as a channel converts insanely better than every other channel. Every, I mean, like by a ridiculous amount. It's yeah. the, the next closest one is so far back, it's hard to see. I mean, it converts like three to 500% than any other channel, right? Yeah. So the big question is, why don't we use it? <laughs> why don't people do it? And um, I hear all different kinds of questions or answers about that. But the number one thing that I hear is that they just don't think about it. Yeah. Right? And, and what that tells you is that they don't have any kind of a system or a process to try to get referrals. And that's where they're falling down. They're just letting it happen randomly. Yet if you put a little bit of rigor behind it, you'll find that it's the single best channel. And there are many, many people out there that do all of their business by referral. And and, yeah. And so, and I would say uh, that in my own personal career um, as an individual, contributor really the success was just do a great job for a client and how that client help you get other clients ah. if you do that uh, then that's the secret to selling right there in a nutshell you're so
0: right and, and it's so it, it, i i i i'm the same as you actually james i always say to my clients you know do you get referrals they say yeah we get you know now and again someone comes to us but it's reactive not proactive and when i say why don't you ask it's a blank face and then they say i never even thought about it which just blows my mind. And, and yeah. I, I help my clients with, I ask a really, well, I think a great question. Whenever a client of mine gets an inbound inquiry, one of the first questions I get them to ask is, can I ask who recommended you to my business? Where you're just given that perception that every business is recommended, right?
1: Yeah you do business by referral. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I must ask, um, you, obviously, I know you're, you're very well read. You mentioned when you got into sales, you, you know, you, you you absorbed some of the greats. What, what are your sort of top three or four books that have
1: probably served you the best, James, in your career? Oh, man, I read about 100 books a year. I actually wow. co-host a podcast with with douglas Burdett of the marketing book podcast yeah. and we, we review you know four or five books every single month um, on that show um yeah. but if i had to narrow it down to just maybe three or so books yeah. that i would i would recommend for everybody and and uh, there are different types of sales so this isn't perfect for everybody but um i specialize in complex b2b sales okay yeah. so um the first would be not it's not even a sales book it's think and grow rich by napoleon hill yeah. It is probably the best, you know, uh, personal achievement book ever written. Yeah. And so if you haven't read that, that was, that's like a minimum, you know, you got to read that book. The next is, uh, I would say is Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. That's by Mahan Khalsa. And uh, uh, yeah, and and not many people are aware of this book. It is the greatest book on discovery ever written, in my opinion. And my book is dedicated to Mahan Khalsa because uh, his the things in that book and his teachings, uh, I've been to several uh, seminars, um, is it, just it, it created a very much an enlightening um, experience. Mm. So he's the one that taught me that intent matters more than technique. And mm. that's just one of many excellent things in that book. Mm. And then uh, uh, the last one, maybe of the three, and I could give you many, many more. Actually, there's some really phenomenal books out there is uh, I, would, I would maybe recommend Consultive Selling by Mac Hannon. Kenan yeah. has since passed away, of course, just like Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Um, but uh, what he says in consultative selling is mm-hmm. that executives tend to look for um, uh, muchness, soonness, and sureness, those three things. And so mm-hmm. muchness is how much value does it bring? Okay, you got to measure that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sureness is how certain are we that we're going to get that? And soonness? how soon am I going to get that? And when you can answer those three questions in your value proposition, you're creating a compelling message for uh, executive buyers. And so a uh, really phenomenal book. Uh, I think it's in its ninth edition. So that should tell you that it's a excellent book. I mean, it's, it's been around for a long time, but it it is uh, definitely stood the test of time. Oh, it's fantastic. And I'll have
0: to check that out. And you mentioned the Challenger sale so earlier, and I, I was lucky to have Matthew Dixon on the show a couple of weeks back, but that book, changed the way i thought massively
1: absolutely yeah a phenomenal book actually and uh, actually their follow-up book is also good um to, yeah. so so uh, i recognize it. i recommend all of their books yeah, yeah absolutely. So
0: where can where can my audience james check out find your book the perfect clothes and, and some of your great content
1: Sure. Well, it's on Amazon. Uh, There's a book and there's a workbook there. Um, If they want to just see if it's right for them, Mm -hmm. uh, the perfect close itself, I would say is good across, regardless of whether you're B2B or B2C, uh, any kind of sale across any kind of business with any kind of number of stages. So I think everybody can appreciate what's in that particular book. If they want to see if it's for them, they can just go to puremuir.com. It's P-U-R-E-M-U-I-R Dot com mm. and then go to the resources page there's like more than a dozen resources there there's the first three chapters of the book there's a mm. uh, a special report on the seven deadly sins of of selling and there's all these planning forms mind maps all that stuff and it's all free the whole point is just for you to get, you know get a vibe for whether or not it's for you. And then if it is, you know, you can get it on
0: Amazon. Amazing. Amazing. James, thank you so much for giving up your time and sharing some absolute pearls of wisdom with me and my listeners. I can't tell you how much I appreciate
1: it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Tony. It was great. Thank you. Look after yourself and stay safe. Right back at you. Stay healthy. Thank you.